Please be aware that this is a podcast about sex work. Therefore, it includes strong language, particularly language related to sex and the sex industry. There will also be mentions of stigma related to sex work, as well as state violence against sex workers. Sexual violence and trafficking may also be mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. Sex. It's a short word, but a big topic. And one part of sex that's getting more and more attention these days are the people who provide sex-related services for others. Now, there are a lot of words and phrases to describe these people, some fine and some with trickier histories. But on this show, we mostly call them sex workers. You may or may not remember the first time you found out about what stripping or escorting was. I remember pretty clearly being in the fifth grade and learning what a, quote, prostitute was after a History Channel show I was watching used the term. Pretty nerdy way to learn, I know. However you first learned about sex workers, I want you to think, was it from a sex worker themselves? Chances are it wasn't. But sex workers have been producing informative media about their work and experiences for a long time now, in many different forms. From books to blogs, from zines to tweets, from videos to podcasts, there are a lot of ways to learn about sex work from the experts. And on this show, we'll dive into them. This is Babylon, the podcast that asks who's talking about sex workers and why. My name is Vanessa Ontiveros, and I'll be your host. Let's get a few things clear. We will not be debating whether or not sex work is good on this show. Sex work scholars have made it pretty clear that sex work, like all other industries, has its problems. But for many people, it is their best way to survive in a capitalist system. So we will not be debating its legitimacy. And personally, I am in full support of decriminalizing sex work, a topic we will discuss further in just a moment. If you have a problem with that, Please still listen. I think there's a lot you could get out of this show. Because over the next six episodes, we'll be diving into the power of storytelling and shaping people's thoughts on any subject, sex work included. And when sex workers themselves seize the means of narration, at the very least it breaks down stigma and increases representation. Now, I myself am not a sex worker, and so my status as an outsider to the industry makes me less credible when I discuss sex work because I have no lived experiences to back up my statements. If you're a sex worker listening to this, you already know that. You've had plenty of journalists discuss your life and work, and many have done so in unprofessional or even disrespectful ways. I just want to say thank you for giving this project a chance, whether you appear as a guest or as a listener. I'm a storyteller, just like the other people we will be hearing from on this show. I'm a storyteller who loves the topic of storytelling, and this project was born from my curiosity and excitement as, throughout college, I read and listened to and watched media where information about sex workers was being told by sex workers themselves. My hope is that people like myself, people who have never worked in the sex industry, but still find themselves interested in it, come away from this project with a wealth of resources to learn about the sex industry from the people who have first-hand experience. 
On this show, we'll be focusing on nonfiction narratives related to sex work, things like news articles and memoirs and informative social media posts. So, sorry Boogie Nights fans. And as I said earlier, sex workers have been producing media about themselves since pretty much forever. It is known as the world's oldest profession, after all. But on this show, we'll be focusing on works produced after the 1960s, and mostly by American sex workers. I've probably said the words sex work or sex worker 50 times by now. But what does that really mean? Well, the term sex work was coined in 1978 by sex worker, artist, and activist Carol Lee, a.k.a. Scarlet Harlot. In an essay published in 1997 and included in her book Unrepentant Whore, Carol explains that she wanted a term that could reflect both her feminist sensibilities with the actual lived experiences of people selling sex. Sex worker is a really broad term. It can include full-service sex workers, who are people who literally have intercourse with clients, pornography performers, strippers, phone sex operators, nude photography models, cam models, peep show performers, BDSM professionals, and I'm sure I'm missing some. And of course, all of these services can take place in really different environments. Now, the term sex worker is pretty heavily associated with media coverage and academic discourse surrounding people who sell sexual services. But it's also a useful political term. People whose work lives look very different, yet are threatened by the same sorts of legislation and stigma, can come together and advocate for their rights. And sex workers, as you can guess, have a lot to fight for because they have been political and social targets for well over a century. In 1910, the Mann Act, or the White Slave Traffic Act, was signed into federal law. It made it illegal to transport women or girls across state lines for prostitution or other, quote, immoral purpose. But the federal government does not have the authority to regulate selling sexual services within states. Individual states have their own laws, pretty much all of which criminalize full-service sex work. Nevada allows for legal full-service sex work in rural counties, but those sex workers often must comply with extremely strict rules. Then, in the 1960s, comes a sexual revolution. Some American attitudes towards sex begin to change. If you had to pick a specific date or year that the modern sex workers' rights movement began in America, there are a couple of candidates. While not specific to the states, a lot of people credit the occupation of Saint-Nazaire Church in Lyon, France, as the start of the modern sex workers' rights movement. The occupation took place on June 2, 1975. June 2 is now recognized as International Whores Day. Before the occupation, you had the formation of Coyote in San Francisco in 1973. Coyote stands for Call Off Your Tired Old Ethics. Margot St. James, legendary sex workers' rights activist, founded the organization to advocate for decriminalization and destigmatization. You could even make the argument that the famous Stonewall Uprising in New York City in 1969 helped usher in a new era of sex workers' resistance, since so many sex workers were among those fighting back against police harassment, notably Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And that's not to say that sex workers were not resisting before the 1960s and 70s. However, the 1970s did see a clear wave of organized resistance, particularly from workers in San Francisco and New York. One major focus of politically active sex workers has been the goal to decriminalize sex work. 
Decriminalization is the removal of any penalty, civil or criminal, for an act or for prostitution. Legalization would be the imposition of rules, regulations, that kind of thing to govern the sex industry. So with legalization, which exists in places like Amsterdam and a couple other countries, we don't see any of the, of the benefits that we see with full decriminalization. Some people just use legalization wrong because obviously if something's not criminal, it must be legal. But legalization is actually another model of governing sex work, which would mean that, you know, you might have to get licensed, you know, there would be lots of rules and regulations. Again, we wouldn't see any of the benefits because the power shifts still to a third party or and or to the government. And of course, there are going to be sex workers unable or unwilling to conform with whatever laws and regulations. So we're still going to see it criminalized to a certain extent, which of course will not, we won't reap any of the benefits from that we would with decriminalization. That was Ariella Moskowitz, the Director of Communications for Decriminalized Sex Work. We'll hear more from her in Episode 6. Today, people are utilizing social media in order to keep the history of sex work alive in our collective consciousness. If you're listening to this podcast online, then you're enjoying the internet that sex workers helped build. Rebel Kunt is the founder of The Ho History Project, a multimedia documentation of the history and influence of Black, Brown, and Indigenous sex workers. Originally, Rebel thought of making a documentary. I realized that, one, I didn't have the expertise to put the film together, um, and I wasn't confident jumping into that learning curve at the time, and then life just kind of happened. I think closer to 30-something is when I started taking it more seriously, when I realized that I had community behind me and I had a little bit of work out there, maybe not film work, but, you know, like writing or interviews and things like that, or just like running my mouth on social media about sex workers' rights and stuff enough where I felt like I had something there, like I could take that idea and uh, work with it. And so I just sort of talked to a few close friends that I had in community and um, sort of pitched the idea that we film a documentary and mainly because a lot of my work leading up to that decision and sort of on accident was me realizing how much so black and brown and indigenous sex workers sort of push popular culture and music and other forms of artistic expression, um, how much so we influence the fashion industry and beauty trends and uh, hairstyles and nail art and all of those things. Um, and then sort of the obsession with ho or ho adjacent, if not ideologies and theories, just sort of representation and reality TV, for instance, or, you know, like hip hop culture, especially, there's a lot of overlap there that um, I was already studying and researching and I found it really, really interesting and thought that, you know, these weren't conversations we were um, having as often and publicly and just amongst ourselves, because that was important for me. And so um, I think I just kind of took all of those things and threw it in a big ass pot and <laughs> made a whole gumbo. <laughs> that documentary is in the works, by the way, and Rebel says it will explore the Ho History team's research and projects. In their research, it became increasingly obvious that Black and Brown sex workers were the people pushing internet culture forward. Because they work in a criminalized industry, sex workers have a long history of being adaptable and resourceful. 
They've been pushed out of spaces time and time and again, which made them good at settling new ones, like the ever-evolving internet. Now it's common for people to like have their cash app in their bios. And I don't think people credit Black sex workers especially enough for that, because um, it was really Black sex workers who sort of pushed that once pay apps became popular and being able to transfer money that way amongst ourselves or to loved ones or whatever. Um, it was really Black sex workers on in digital spaces who sort of pushed women especially to be like, look, this is what emotional labor is. This is what intellectual labor is. This is what erotic labor is. You damn sure should be getting paid for it. And you should start making these motherfuckers compensate you. Put your cash app in your bio, you know, post your Venmo on Fridays or something. I don't know. I think that's really, really important. Our understanding of mutual aid and community care, being compensated for our labor, our work, even if it's not our main source of income, charging people for the gems that you put out there or for being consumed in a, a hypersexualized way or through a hypersexualized lens. I think Black sex workers really push that. Black sex workers, Indigenous sex workers, brown sex workers really sort of push culture in a sense and our understanding of a lot of things um, and don't get nearly enough credit for it. And I think that credit is important, not just for like you know, the sake of boasting. But I think when people can start to understand that, then they understand that there is no civil rights movement. There is no LGBTQ plus movement. There's no movement involving liberation and race and, and gender and sexuality without sex workers being there. And a lot of the times on the front lines, it's just that those histories are not available to us. And so I think that's like a huge focus for us with whole history is being able to contextualize that, put that into focus. Rebel Cunt has had to get resourceful when it comes to researching this history. A lot of times I find things in books or, you know, like in books, sometimes like it leads you to other information. So um, maybe I'll read a book about sex work. And then in their cited works is something about the Great Migration, which is really what I want to know about, right? And so I can find that and read about that and take notes. And then, I mean, so yeah, like reading books and watching documentaries and taking in as much theory as possible and applying it with a certain lens to what we're doing and um, actually going places, also interviews and conversations, you know, oral traditions, which are important to our cultures. One thing that has been really helpful for me here in Chicago, I've been able to go up north to the Leather Archives and Museum, um, which is located near Loyola. They're not necessarily Black and Brown sex worker focused, but we're there, and that's good for me. <laughs> I was surprised the first time I walked in there because, of, of course, it's you know, BDSM and um, bondage, which of course I know we're in and, and we practice and we're part of, but it was really nice to see the first time when I walked in there, their uh, first exhibit that I ever saw was a Black Dom who they celebrate a lot there and they have a lot of pictures throughout their museum. So that was really, really helpful. We sort of built a relationship with them. And they allow us to come in when we need to do research and go through the archives and, you know, the library that they have in the back. We go there and we work and look through old ads and articles and stuff like that. Rebel Cunt recognizes the importance of community in the study of history. One aspect of the history of sex worker storytelling that we won't be discussing much in this show is oral history. It's fleeting and exclusive by nature. 
For people outside the industry, like myself, it can be very difficult to access. But that has not stopped people like Rebel Kant from incorporating it into their own work. I think my favorite part of research is being able to sit with community and have conversations and get history that way. I've gotten a lot out of interviews um, and being able to talk to people about their experiences and where they come from. And an example of that for me would be, you know, learning that a good friend of mine is a third generation Dom, which is very interesting, which means that their grandparent would have been a Black Dom during a very interesting time of like civil rights history in this country. And I'm very interested to hear about that and have conversations with her. Bless her, because she's still here on this earth to be able to tell us about that. Rebel Kunt also said that making sure the Ho History Project is a truly collaborative experience is a top priority. In traditional academia, there is not always a lot of space for concepts like community. However, at the Ho History Project, Rebel says creating with friends has its own advantages having a sense of community and making that the center of what we're doing is really important. I think because we have that sort of structure, it doesn't feel as formal, if that makes sense. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like I'm creating with friends and friends that I can have an honest conversation with. And so I I think that's helped us and I hope it helps us more in the future. I hope that this is the start of like a very strong foundation. This is something that I would like to exist for as long as possible. And so I think like building community around that is important uh, as far as longevity is concerned. You know, spiritually for me, that's important that this be community oriented. And I also want our work to reflect our community and the community that supports us. And so, um, Yeah, that's important to us, like trying to make this as interactive as possible um, with those who are supporting like the histories we're trying to preserve and that we're trying to share. Now, the 1970s, 1980s, they weren't that long ago. So it's kind of impossible to separate the history of the sex workers' rights movement from the current movement going on today. Sex workers are still making history. Also recognizing that like right now is history too. You know, being able to dig into the past, but also recognize that documenting what's going on right now with the sex workers' rights movement, and in particular with Black, Brown, and Indigenous sex workers, being able to look at it that way helps a lot too. Now, sex work does not exist separately from all the bigotries that the rest of society faces. Things like racism, ableism, classism, fatphobia, Those all exist in the sex industry and mainstream media coverage of the sex workers' rights movement. Ho History exists to center the stories of Black, Brown, and Indigenous sex workers as cultural influencers. And as Rebel Kunt said earlier, those sex workers have not gotten the credit they deserve. I asked them why that is. I mean, this could definitely be a conversation about, you know, anti-Blackness and racism homophobia, transphobia, misogynoir, anti-everything. <laughs> and, and just also like, you know, we're carrying a certain type of stigma. And with that comes, you know, people looking at you like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Also, in my experience, at least when it comes to like writing about my experiences as a Black sex worker, wanting to do uh, documentaries about our experiences, I've definitely shared space with Uh, what we call civvies, (laughs) where it's laughable to them that we would even take it that seriously. 
to, for instance, you know, um, write in depth about our experiences, our histories, to even say out loud and in front of people that our history matters, um, that we are a part of history in a major way. It's laughable to people. So yeah, I, I think people don't really take us seriously outside of our community. And it seems to be like this constant fight to prove X, Y, and Z. Black and brown sex workers stand in this really interesting place that I've seen a lot of sex workers I know in this group aren't interested in proving that we're worth being respected. We're not interested in proving that our history matters or proving that we were there all along. We're saying it without a doubt that we were, that we are important. Our history matters. We've been here. We're always going to be here. We contribute and we have contributed in this way. And um, so I also think that when you're talking about people of color, when you're talking about Black folks, when you're talking about Indigenous people, period, whether you're a sex worker or not, being confident in what you're saying, knowing your history and, and saying you can't erase us or silence us really rubs people the wrong way. And then when you throw sex worker on top of that, it's like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare these hoes? <laughs> Throughout this project, we'll be hearing from sex workers who do just that, tell their stories and share their knowledge without trying to prove anything to anyone. Knowing that your story deserves to be told, to me, is an expression of self-love. But before we get into that, we'll be taking a look at the ways many people get their information about sex work and sex workers from journalists. That's next time on the Babylon Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Babylon Podcast. Babylon is an independent podcast that I wrote, edited, and produced as my final honors project at the University of Arizona. If you want to know more, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BabylonPod. Special thanks to Roxandra Guidi for advising this project. The music is Iron by Crowander. A very special thanks to Ariella Moskowitz and Rebel Kunt for agreeing to appear on this episode. You can find Decriminalized Sex Work online at decriminalizedsex.work. They are also on Twitter at decrimsex and on Instagram at decrimsexwork. You can find the Ho History Project on Instagram and Twitter at Ho History. That's Ho spelled H-E-A-U-X. Once again, thank you for listening. <laughs>